It's October, so you know what that means. It's getting spooky! <laughs> In this episode, we're talking all about monsters in Star Wars, from the Zillow Beast to Kylo Ren. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and it's getting spooky. It really is. We're really getting spooky in here. <laughs> oh, my God. Charlotte wanted me to read the prologue, but I told her she had to, and she had to really get into it. So <laughs> That was me really getting into it. <laughs> I like how I totally thought you were – you totally subverted my expectations of this prologue. Oh, okay. I'm Ryan Johnson. Time. Yeah, you're Ryan Johnson. Except I'm Ryan Johnson and <laughs> <laughs> you're Ram Bergman. Yeah. Um, I totally thought when, when – I thought for me getting into it would have been like, it's getting spooky. But you were like, it's getting spooky. <laughs> That's just how I feel about Halloween. It's like, yay, <laughs> fun Halloween stuff. Getting spookiness. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> spooky witches. That's literally my vibe for Halloween. Yeah, that's your aesthetic. <laughs> just yeah. change that to your um, Twitter bio. <laughs> so how do you feel about Halloween, Caitlin? Um, Halloween's not my favorite. I don't like dislike it. I'm not – I mean, I don't like scary movies like at all. Um, I'm easily startled. I have a embarrassingly girly scream. Like it's very high pitched. It's not attractive. It's not cute. It's <laughs> it's like all around bad. Uh, and I get stressed at costume making. So um, I like the idea of Halloween, but it's kind of like New Year's Eve for me. There's always like a lot of pressure, and then I just like it doesn't ever live up to my expectations. Yeah, I feel the opposite about Halloween. Yeah, no, I know. I love Halloween. It's used to be when I was younger my favorite holiday just because I really just – I always love dressing up and transforming into someone else. And my family would get super into it and we'd all be like a themed costume and our house would be really spooky. And we have like these traditions around Halloween and I love you it so them. much. What is it you eat? Uh, SpaghettiOs. Yeah, SpaghettiOs. Yeah. So it's, that's a thing that my mom used to do when she was younger and now yeah. we always do it. It's I, like it's, it's not Halloween without SpaghettiOs. Yeah, from a it's can. funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I have like very clear memories of Halloween with you. Like the first time that we ever had a sleepover on a weeknight was Halloween. Oh yeah, that's yeah. True. And I remember like sleeping on the floor in your bedroom, and we we were like, we're gonna own Halloween this year. This is actually like the last year I think we went trick or treating too, because um, in between Charlotte and I's neighborhoods, there was this like row of like huge houses that were just like kind of set in the woods by themselves. Um, but it was like this like back road between our neighborhoods, and so we had your dad drive. Like first we started, and I think my neighborhood, and then we had your dad pick us up, and we went to the big houses, and they gave out like full size candy bars, of course. And then we like went into your neighborhood and then we stayed at your house that night and had SpaghettiOs and like you were like high on candy. I remember that night and like would not go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. It was just so fun. I love Halloween so much. And I love like getting back after like the night of – like trick-or-treating, I miss it so much. It was just so fun. Mm -hmm. You get back and you like – Explore all the candy you got and yeah, oh, organize it. Yeah, exactly. And pay, I mean, pay the dad tax. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dad tax is Reese's peanut butter cups in my house. Um. <laughs> when I was little, my dad and I were always the last people out in the neighborhood. It was like our thing. We stayed out until like midnight, and um, we were literally always the last people out. And mm-hmm. um, 
it, it, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. I remember that Halloween. I think it was our senior year where – it was like the one time in high school we had like a party every night. That was <laughs> like, so fun. That was, was like never our lives. lives. Yeah. yeah That's what had, happened. Yeah. And I remember you had like four costumes over the weekend and one of them was my Leia costume. And I remember like being in my bedroom trying to like give you Leia buns mm-hmm. that night and we were like, yeah. oh, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> It was fun though. Yeah, because you didn't because you didn't want to do the braid because that was the hairstyle that went with that costume. You want to do the buns. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember that weekend, and I think we ended that night at Waffle House. Yep. Of course we did. Yeah. Oh, all right. You're right. Halloween is fun. Halloween yeah, is fun. and I think I've dressed up as someone from Star Wars for Halloween, like four times maybe. Hmm. Um, it's which isn't really that many times, but um, in comparison, like it was really when I was like eleven or ten or eleven, where I was Padme like two years in a row. I think mm-hmm. the white suit. It was yep. great. Yep. My I wish I could find those photos. It was funny because just before we started recording, we were talking about um, in uh, middle school, Charlotte's iPod. We would always like share it in science class, and Charlotte has this soundtrack on her phone that's like a hundred spooky sounds or something. Would and you it would, like a taste. <laughs> and it would always come up on her shuffle in class. It still it, does. <laughs> it still does. And she was playing through some of them, and I asked her to play this one. It's called pleading redemption. Because <laughs> we're all just over here pleading redemption. We're all pleading for redemption. <laughs> Hold on. I have to, you know, cycle through a hundred spooky <laughs> Halloween things. Including like manic rats and like bloody vomit. Oh my God. So gross. Okay. This is Kylo Ren. <laughs> or me pleading for his redemption. <laughs> It's so creepy. So bad. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I just love how it's called pleading redemption. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, life is Star Wars even when it's not trying to be. Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so Halloween, it's coming up. Hope you're ready. Let us know if you're going as a Star Wars character or, you know, whatever else you're going as. I'll uh, be at work. <laughs> So that's great. Um, but in exciting news, I am actually getting ready to go to San Francisco in a couple weeks. Yay! I am very excited. I am going for the National Trust of Historic Preservation. They have their annual conference every year. Last year it was in Chicago, and this year it is in San Francisco. So I'm super excited. Um, it's funny because I've never been to California before, but this year I'll be going out there twice, yeah. um, which is really fun, really blessed. But yeah, I'm super excited. I'm obviously taking time to go out to Skywalker Ranch. Not Skywalker Ranch, just Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm. Wow. (laughs) You're like getting a little bit ahead of yourself. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to go to Skywalker Ranch and just like go. (laughs) You wish you would. I'm going to knock on the door and be like, let's chat. Basically, I'm just really excited. I've been to San Francisco a couple times and each time I'd gone in – taking a photo at the Yoda fountain, but I had gone at like on like Saturdays when the building wasn't even open or anything, but I'm excited for Caitlin to get her Yoda statue photo. It's mm-hmm. going to be great. Yeah. It's funny because I'm getting in there kind of um, early on Monday before the conference starts. So I was joking with Charlotte earlier that I'm just going to be like, taxi, take me to George. <laughs> like, <laughs> straight from the airport. Yoda, we go. <laughs> take me to George. And he'll be like, what? I'll be like, George Lucas. 
Um, just George. Just George. But yeah, so uh, if uh, anyone is around Lucasfilm and wants to, you know, take me around, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm super excited for that. Um, I will be doing other things besides just going to Star Wars World. Um, but <laughs> it's going to be really fun. I'm super excited to see San Francisco. Um, I'm really excited for the architecture and the conference is going to be really great. So um, if you happen to be at the National Trust Conference, hit me up. <laughs> the con. If you, if you happen to be at that that Prez con, <laughs> that preservation con, let me know. So funny. Okay. Funny. So in this episode, because it's October and that we said on the top of the show, we are doing a whole episode on the theme of monsters in Star Wars. So um, our part one, we are going to define what a monster is. And in part two, we're going to be talking specifically about monsters in Star Wars. And then in part three, we're going to talk about Kylo Ren. Yay! That's it. That's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay. So without further ado, let's get started. I'm not afraid. You will be. You will be. All right, welcome to part one, where we're going to be kind of breaking down what a monster is. This is kind of following a similar structure to our heroes and villains episode, where, you know, in the first part, we kind of talked through the definition of heroes and villains. But this time, we're going to be talking about monsters. Um, Again, getting spooky. So Uh, spooky. So the Webster's Dictionary defines monster as one who deviates from normal or acceptable behavior or character, an animal or strange or terrifying shape, a threatening force. So what do we think of when we think of the word monster? I always think of like Godzilla and Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, technically speaking, and like Dracula but I don't really think about it like on the lines of like werewolves. I don't really think werewolves mm-hmm. kind of align with like monsters, but I think that they could potentially just because they're part of the supernatural. I think that there's always like a sci-fi horror element to monsters. Yeah, I think sci-fi and, and horror definitely like that, like monsters flow really well between those two genres. Um, but yeah, it, it always is something that um, – when I think of monster, I think of something scary, but also like they have an intellect. Like it's yeah. not just a beast. It's like something with a purpose. Well, I think that's like the whole point. Mm-hmm. And but the surprising thing is I feel like a lot of people I don't know. I think that like that's us like putting like a little bit of an intellectual spin on monsters. I think like mm-hmm. in general when people say, "Oh, you're a monster," like, "Oh, that's monstrous. I think that it is like without that like abject understanding of like it's bad. Yeah, I think it's, it's just, just like bad. it's just bad. It's bad. It's bad it's, and it's inhuman. Exactly. I think the key word really is inhuman. Mm-hmm. But what literature has kind of shown us is that there is always a humanity to monsters. I mean, I feel like you see that throughout literature all the way from Beowulf to Frankenstein to to Dracula and even in films like King Kong and um, I think about like even Cloverfield which is like a J.J. Abrams movie which is interesting Mm -hmm. and like its sequel I don't know if you've seen those but Mm -mm. the sequel to Cloverfield like uh, 12 Cloverfield Lane or 21 yeah 12 Cloverfield Lane it's so good because what you get from that movie is that there's like 
a horror, there's a monster, and it's like, who is the monster and what should you be afraid of? But really what everyone is afraid of is each other and in this confined space. And um, it's not necessarily this supernatural that is monstrous. It's like the people involved. And um, Mm -hmm. I think as we get to like modern literature and like modern film and everything, I think it has really evolved into kind of understanding the the humanity behind like what we would initially consider as a monster. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think too, when you were talking, it also kind of reminded me of Annihilation as well. Yes. Um, yes. I think that's, I think that flows perfectly what you were saying about like, you know, more contemporary filmmaking and this exploration of not even like the, the humanity within monsters, but like the, the monsters within humanity um, mm-hmm. and like what it takes for someone to appeal to their baser instincts um, what makes that come out and what also like changes that for a person what changes them to act more monstrous and what changes them to act less monstrous totally um, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and I mm-hmm. think that we can kind of trace Shelley to like creating this genre of horror and um the monster really and Guillermo del Toro like is someone who comes up in this conversation whenever you talk about monsters because he always makes movies about like the monster the monstrous Mm -hmm. but always shows the humanity behind them and he said uh, about Shelley's novel which I think is just such a great quote that I just want to include he says it's the quintessential teenage book you don't belong you are brought into this world by people that don't care for you and you're thrown into a world of pain and suffering and tears and hunger. It's an amazing book written by a teenage girl. It's mind blowing. I think that it's like it's worth mentioning that Shelley wrote Frankenstein when she was eighteen. Um, and often, I think that monsters can almost like the example of Frankenstein, which is this you know creation, the science science project, basically come to life, and it's like this mismatch of all these different body parts. And um, is that person even human when you create them? And I think by the end of Frankenstein, you understand and you're you're like weeping at the end of Frankenstein because you feel so bad for this this creation, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like it's legitimately insane. Like it's insane that she wrote that when she was somewhere between 18 and 22 and created a whole genre around yeah, this. Because women are amazing and, and do important things. Exactly. And it was also a dare. It was like a, a dare from her writer peers. And mm-hmm. it's just like it's just so great. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the book starts with a quote from um, Milton, which is Paradise Lost. And I think we've talked about Paradise Lost a little bit on the show before when talking mm-hmm. about um, villains, um, just because when you read Paradise Lost, like such a crazy experience. If you guys ever ever read Paradise Lost, it's um, you sympathize and empathize and kind of find some attraction to Satan in that um, epic poem. And so it's fascinating when Shelley begins her her novel with this quote, which I think is, I'm going to come back to it again when we talk about Kylo Ren at the end. The quote is, did I request thee, maker, from, from my clay to make me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? I love this quote so much. I really do. What do you think of when you hear that quote, Caitlin? I, I think it's perfect for this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think it was so right of you to pull this quote for this episode like 100%. Um but yeah, I think 
I think, of course, I'm like jumping so far ahead to our discussion with Kylo Ren. But one, I think it's that this quote was so pivotal for the book of Frankenstein, which I read Paradise Lost. It was a while ago. I haven't read Frankenstein yet. I've read pieces of it, if that makes sense. Like I've seen excerpts from it. But I think that to have this type of quote before Frankenstein in a book where your where your expectations are subverted, where you think that it's going to be this, you know, this monster that is so inhuman, but then at the end of it, that's the person that you're having this emotional attachment for. I mean, it's just like in The Force Awakens when she says, you know, I, I, how can I be scared of like a creature in a mask, like I'm being hunted by a creature in a mask. And you find out that that's not really the case at all that it's this guy underneath. And then that's just like the first step to diving a little bit deeper into who this person is. Um, It's the same thing, I think, with the Frankenstein book. And you're just kind of peeling back these layers and going a little bit deeper until who you thought was the monster in the beginning and who you thought was the inventor and the genius, it's it's completely flipped. It's completely flipped on its head. Um, And I think that's that's what we were saying, like with Annihilation, like who you think is the monster isn't necessarily this animal, but it's those darker pieces of yourself that like are monstrous as well. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's really interesting and I really need to read Frankenstein now. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the quote. I love the, did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? Mm-hmm. Like, did I ask for this? Exactly. And the answer is no. Yeah. Frankenstein's yeah. monster did not ask to be created and yet he has to live with himself this like you know, this horror that like people shriek at when they see him and mm-hmm. um, he's he does terrible things. He doesn't really know why he's doing them, but it's like he's created this way. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really interesting. I also am going to insert a quote here, I think, um, from Guillermo del Toro talking about monsters and why he loves to put monsters and kind of explore that in his movies. So here we go. I think I think that I'm interested in monsters not because they have a specific value, you know. I actually think they are. Uh, they have multiple values depending on how you use them. They are uh, uh, symbols of great uh, power. I think that uh, at some point, when we became thinking uh, creatures, we decided to interpret the world uh, by creating a mythology of gods and monsters. You know, we created angels, we created demons, we created. Uh, serpents devouring the moon. We created a mythology to to make sense of the world around us. And monsters were born at the same time that angels or any of the beatific uh, uh, creatures and characters were created. So I don't assign them a specific value, uh, but I do, I am very mindful of the way I deal with them in the movies uh, and in the books because uh, I assign them a, a specific function and I try to take them to the extreme with that. You know, I make them victims or I make them sympathetic or I make them brutal parasites and they become a metaphor for something else. Obviously, monsters are living, breathing metaphors that for me, half of the fun is explaining them socially, biologically, mythologically, and so forth. I think the moment we we, uh, made our, our interpretation of the world as a sort of binary, uh, you know, uh, type of interpretation, night and day became separate entities, uh, uh, light and dark, and we went uh, through the process of creating the world by uh, an understanding of the world uh, through opposites. Uh, we needed to mythologize, and I think what it tells you is that uh, 
you know, we is mostly Western West, Western culture thinking. Uh, there's a Eastern philosophies that accept uh, the good and the bad, quote unquote, as parts of the whole, and that thing that the good flows with the bad, and the bad flows right back into the good, and that uh, that is a beautiful way of understanding the world and the universe. But Western culture, it tells you that uh, you know the, uh, that we understand the world through opposites only. There's a great phrase, and I'm going to misquote it, <coughs> in the Tao, saying essentially that whenever we consider something good, at the same time we are deeming something bad. When we consider something light, it's because we're considering something dark. And it, it's better to just understand everything as the everything and abandon ourselves to it and so forth. But, but I, I, I think that's what it tells you. Love him. Thanks, GTT. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you guys haven't ever seen any of Guillermo del Toro's movies, I highly recommend them. I think that The Shape of Water might be a good place to start just because it's the most recent. But um, Pan's Labyrinth is like a master. It's just like the, one of the most beautiful movies ever. And Shape of Water is a fascinating study on the concept of monsters, too, because just like in general, the sea monster is you know, becomes this like <laughs> this piece of like desire and you realize who the actual monster is and it's not this like, you know, Secret alien track. creation. Yeah. Um, and that's basically the movie and but how you get to those themes and how you access those themes is just so beautiful. Highly recommend it. Yeah. I love the the because I remember when Guillermo del Toro got – I forget what award it was, but it was some award. It was the Oscar. It was, it was the Oscar. Oscar. I know what you're about to say. And yeah. Charles, like, it was literally an Oscar, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I don't have cable. I can't keep up. <laughs> um, but he had this – He, I, oh, I wish I had the quote, but he was, like, thanking monsters for the truth that they showed us about ourselves. Um, actually, let me – do you mind if I find it? Find it. Okay, I found it, and it's a little different than what you thought, but I still think it's, like, valid to talk about. Um, he says in his long speech about accepting the Oscar for Best Picture, he says, Everyone that is dreaming of a parable of using genre of fantasy to tell the stories about things that are real in the world today, you can do it. This is a door. Kick it open and come in. It's a little different than what you thought, but there I... There one about monsters. There definitely was one. I think there. I think you're thinking about... Maybe it was like the Golden Globe speech where he talked about like how monsters kind of kept him alive and he like kind of shared that bit about himself. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it, it's very important to him always, um, the, the theme of monsters in all different historical time periods, which is what he explores in his films. But this isn't a Guillermo del Toro podcast as much as I'd love to do that. Um, <laughs> I also want to mention this quote that I found that is a pretty famous quote. Um, and the quote is, when is a monster not a monster? Oh, when you love it. And I think that'll come into play when we talk about monsters throughout Star Wars. So Obviously good. not just Kylo Ren, but like just in general. It's, it's so interesting to think about like, what is a monster and when is it not a monster? And how do you reconcile that, especially within sci-fi and horror? Well, I think it's so much too – it goes back to that, like, simplistic childhood lesson of don't judge a book by its cover. Um, yes. You know, and there's, like, there's that fable, too, of, like, the lion with the thorn in his paw as well. And it's, like, you think that it's, like, this ferocious beast when really it's in pain. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you 
like have this moment where you realize that that there's more to the story and you pull the thorn out than you actually see who the real lion is. Totally. Um, it's not what you thought it was when you first encounter the lion. Um, and And like all this to say is that there are – like the monster, I think that you were onto something about like it's not don't judge a book by its cover, but like often sometimes it is just that simplistic in film, yeah, and in books. It you know sometimes like I think that like <laughs> it's hard because I'm trying to come up with an answer, but like I can't. Um, but sometimes it is like in cartoons, like it honestly is like the Yeti. <laughs> you don't really feel that bad for a Yeti, right? <laughs> Yeti, <laughs> except you kind of do. Because he's, like, hunted and he's, like, kind of reclusive, right? Or Yeti. <laughs> like, I, I was going to say King Kong, but, like, the whole thing about King Kong is that you do feel bad for King Kong. So it's, like, it's funny. It's, I, I'm struggling coming up with a, um, an example, but I think that, it, like, in cartoons, I think might be a good example for that, is that the what you identify in the beginning of the story as the monster sometimes is just the monster. Yeah. It's sometimes the whole thing. I mean, yeah, obviously. There's there's the good and the bad guys and and things can be quite black and white like that. But those are that's not reality. Um reality mm-hmm. isn't black and white. And that's why I really liked that those the those quotes that you pulled in from um Del Toro because he talks about how it is very much like a Western way of thinking of things as very black and white. And to be honest, I think we see that a lot with the Star Wars discourse, especially with Kylo Ren. It is very black and white. Um, but in like more Eastern style philosophies, there is this mixture. And um I remember when he was saying, you know, it's the, you know, it, for to call something good means you're deeming something else bad. Um, and mm-hmm. our brains just kind of work like that automatically. Like in order for this thing to be good, that means there has to be an opposite out there somewhere that is inherently and intrinsically bad. Um, and I think that's so interesting. And, and he brought up that example too of like, well, because there is day, there is also night. And because there is light, there is also dark. But like, you know, to be like a bit corny. Those, like have to like reconcile to each other. Yeah, Sorry, they ha- I didn't mean to interrupt. No, they're fine. You're fine. They have to balance. <laughs> balance. Yeah. Yin and yang. But – but also, like, the day and night, like, the most beautiful parts of the day, of the 24-hour cycle, are sunset and sunrise when mm-hmm. you have this mixture of day and night of them, like, coming together and pulling apart and becoming that balance of the day and, like, the Earth cycle. And, and I think there's something, like, really beautiful about that and um, how it is kind of that combination that are the – like, you know, you know, like, when you're on vacation or it's just, like, you happen to see the sunrise, there's just, like, something so peaceful and, like, quiet about those moments. For sure, it's like everything it's the is best. yeah, everything's right because um, you do you're experiencing both nighttime and daytime together, um, and I think that's really cool. And and how he talked about like with the Eastern philosophies, how there is this flowing back and forth of good and bad together. It's neither one or the other. There isn't this opposite. I mean, there is, but there's this balance, and you see it. You see the whole. You see all of the good and bad together. It's in everything. I think is what he said. Definitely. Okay, so let's move on to part two. Let's. So what's a monster in Star Wars then? Let's move to Star Wars. Star Wars. We have a lot of scary monsters in Star Wars. It's a thing. It like there's thing. an article on StarWars.com that has a quote. I think it's. I think the article is by Amy Ratcliffe. Um, the quote is, Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars without monsters. And, like, that's so true. It's like, very true. there's – in every trilogy, there's at least, like, three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, like, big monsters. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, usually they're just monsters, right? Mm -hmm. But it's fun when they're not just monsters. Yeah. So first off, what's your favorite monster? Um, We had the same answer for this question, but the brain worms are so (laughs) effing scary. They're the scariest. Yeah. So if you guys haven't seen this Clone Wars episode, oh my God. I think it's in like the second season. Yeah. But there's this episode that's like basically like zombie brain worms <laughs> that infect the clones. And it is insane. I remember Caitlin and I, when we first watched that, we were like on vacation together and we watched it. We were like scared. We were we legitimately were, we scared. We were really scared. We were at your grandparents' house and exactly. it was like nighttime. All the lights were off. And we just have like the glow of the computer screen. <laughs> and these, it was so scary. Was, and like, and the the Brain Invaders episode too. It's it's a very it's a blue episode. Like it's very blue and gray. Like the lighting because they're in this. It's almost got like an alien vibe to it as well. I mean, it does have an alien yeah, vibe. like a very clear alien vibe. It's yeah. honestly it's been a while <laughs> since I've watched that episode because like I can't watch it too many times. <laughs> but it's so scary. Uh, and I just remember being like, I'm pretty sure we paused it at one point because we were like, let's take a breather. <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. There's also like on the in the same vein in Rebels, is it is it Luminara that like <gasps> oh my is God. becomes alive? Like just like in the in discussing horror in Star Whoa. Wars, like because Star Wars is like an amalgamation of all these yeah. different genres, oh, like man. all this stuff this stuff is pulls in, but like in Rebels, there's this one shot of mm. Luminara like basically dead but then it like becomes what what happens they, i forget so they get it's very early on in season one actually i think i was surprised when i realized how early it was but kanan gets a distress call that's only used by jedi um and he's like whoa there are no more jedi left and so it's from luminara and he's like oh maybe she can take over training ezra is his line of thought and so they go to rescue Luminar on this like empire ship or whatever, and they get to her jail cell and she's walking around in the jail cell. And then she looks at them and she just backs up into this coffin. And then you see her face like freeze over. It is so effing scary. So scary. I remember the first time watching that, I was like, <gasps> like I guess. Me too. And every time I always forget about it too. Every time I revisit it's, that episode. Oh man, it's sinister. It's so good. It's so scary. Oh, wow. You have a runner-up other favorite? I forgot about that moment, but that moment is so scary. Um, oh, I'm like getting chills. I I really – I forget what they're called and it's not because I think it's scary. It's because I love the robot chicken skit that goes with it from Empire Strikes Back, the like big uh, – the worms when they're on the asteroid and the worm tries oh. to eat them. <laughs> the big worm forgot about that one right and yeah. there's that robot chicken skit where he's like oh man like i never get anything yeah. <laughs> and then his friend pops up and he's like oh well, like let's like order some chinese food and so they order chinese food and they're like we'll just have like five million pounds of sweet and sour chicken <laughs> and then he's like, well, the, the best part is the ending <laughs> yeah and he's like oh uh are we gonna pay with cash or card and like how much should we tip and the other friend is like well, like, just say cash. We're going to gobble him up when he gets here anyway. <laughs> like, the, the delivery guy. We're just going to so gobble good. him up. <laughs> it's really funny. It's I love the robot chicken Star Wars. Yeah. Um. Yeah, totally. I, I think, like, the concept of monsters, like, it's easily, like, kind of glided over when you think about Star Wars as a whole. Mm-hmm. Just because often they're just, like, used to, like, move the plot along a little bit. And, um, but in the Phantom Menace, which is you know obviously the beginning of the saga, <laughs> yes, I think 
there's something more to like there's all obviously there is there's there's always a bigger fish line that Qui-Gon says and you know when they're in the planet core in navigating under the water in Naboo and you get like a fish basically attack their uh bongo and then another fish comes up right and I think that to to attack that fish and it's interesting ship called a bongo yeah, it's literally like you can take a bongo. Is what they say. <laughs> a speediest way to it for. <laughs> a bongo? I'm pretty sure it's called a bongo. <laughs> like a drum? Like a drum. All I can think of now is Ricky Ricardo and I love Lucy. Yeah. With a bongo, you know. but it's inside the bongo is Qui-Gon <laughs> Yeah, it's literally called a bongo. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right. It's, it's fine. Interesting. No, but I think that it's like this is an overall theme that you see in Star Wars like forever is that there's always a bigger fish. There's always someone else. There's always the Phantom Menace behind. Um, you know, like there's always going to be two. There's the rule of two. And there's always some bigger obstacle than is like immediately presented. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see that extremely demonstrated in the phantom menace with these two two fish fish. (laughs) and it's just like it's a really good point of introduction for that theme throughout the saga well i think it's great because star wars because it is so vast and and as as them creators like to say it's such a big sandbox for us to play in um (laughs) they really do say that right it's like star wars is a sandbox can't it just be a galaxy like there are many planets to go to (laughs) like why does that have to be a sandbox um but the fact that we have these like very uh, like stereotypical animalistic monsters that are like, okay, you have to beat the monster, kill the monster, save the day. You know, it's like very superhero. Um, mm-hmm. But then we also have like this human side of monsters too that we'll get into once we start talking about Kylo Ren. Um, and I think it's cool how we are able to have both of those, um, even with like big things like the Zilla Beast or like the Purgles, like these big monsters that are completely different from what we initially think. But then we do have like brain invaders or, you know, there's always the bigger fish um, and, you know, like all of the monsters in Attack of the Clones and on Geonosis. Um, those are very much like you don't have sympathy for them, like one and done. Got to kill them to get out of this hairy situation. The Purgles are such an interesting one that I kind of forgot about. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily monsters, are they? I mean, no, like the point really. is, is that they're they're in that in that episode of Rebels. Um, they are obstructing a pathway yeah right? but they're kind of they're yeah they're an obstacle and uh, but they become the scary they, i mean they are scary <laughs> they're scary but the <laughs> thing like, is, is that are with a giant space whale flying towards me. yeah our hero kind of understands them and humanizes them and mm-hmm. that kind of gets to the whole point is that in the beginning of the episode they're scared of them because they're this monstrous thing and it's a huge character moment for ezra when he's able to connect with them and understand what they need and what they want, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too when we start talking about monsters with like Jabba the Hutt as well mm-hmm. and like how it's like this bad guy that is like this animalistic but humanoidish, you know, like slug <laughs> who's meant to be this like big gangster kind of guy. Um, yeah. And like the shape of him and like the coloring of him, like it all kind of plays to this like response you know what i mean Mm -hmm. totally i think that george wanted him to be like quote just a big gangster (laughs) that's all george said like that's what you get Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) with 
Jabba. Like again, I really don't think there's any redeeming qualities to understanding Jabba. I mean, uh, it's his, so hard because then, like, exactly, exactly. But then he loves his son so much mm-hmm. in the Clone Wars movie. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, stinky, um, stinky Rota. Yeah. So let's talk about the monsters and attack the clones. Um, the in the arena scene. You know, Count Dooku and the Nemoidians unleash these three monsters on Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan. And it's like this huge spectacle. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows about it. Um, Do you have a favorite one? No, I don't really have a favorite because they're all kind of icky. Um, (laughs) I like the one with all the pincers, like the spidery one, and how he just like tries to like impale everything. (laughs) Yeah, the Ackley. Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where's Danny? I, <laughs> Danny, Danny. I, I know all of them if you if you want want to go for it. I mean, it's I the know Akle, you, Okay. The Reef, You're going to go next. So. Yeah. I, I went for it. <laughs> it's the prequel stuff that I really know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, anyway, I have always kind of thought it was annoying that Padme, like the, the beast that was like unleashed on Padme was like this like kind of kitty cat. Like, I, I hated that. <laughs> like, I hated this, like, hearing you say kitty cat. <laughs> so did I. Like, I really wish I didn't say that, but I did. <laughs> and I, I've always kind of felt like that was a little bit gendered. Um, it's funny because I've never thought that. I, I mean, it was just like out of all of them, like, there's like the big, tough, like, Reek, who like Anakin there later, like, slays, right? Um, which was like a very night moment. And um, then there's the Acklay, which is like just like very loud <laughs> and and then like the the nexu which is just smaller like more agile and kind of a little bit feminine yeah i've always I guess, kind of thought about that i guess i kind of thought it like goes along with like like they are kind of paralleled to who they're with because like mm-hmm. padme's like way of escape was she got ahead of everyone and like found her way to the top like she was agile herself and getting to the top of the like the pole and, totally. and you had to have like that that creature be able to like jump high enough to like scratch her um for that like moment. And then, you know, with mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and his, like he gets his to like chop off the um like his handcuffs. Like it's very precise in how he like lines everything up to get that done. And then, you know, Anakin, like brute strength. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it does kind of go along with all of them. Although I will say that's one of my least favorite moments in Attack of the Clones is when Padme jumps off the top of that pillar and just like lands on that creature's back like from very high up and shows no signs of pain. <laughs> She really should have just been like, oof. So and so, ow. so does Anakin too. And I'm like, I know that hurt you, Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it hurt Padme too. Like honestly, I mean, I, like it's definitely yeah. that she fell from a very great height and was just like straddling. They were both just like immediately straddled the creature and like no pain. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. Anyway, <laughs> I um, I cringe for them every time I see it. <laughs> to me, like I even remember in some of the like posters for attack the clones and like the the title of attack of the clones it almost has that like very pulpy like mm-hmm. king kong style yeah, and i know that in the po- the posters for attack the clones had like they kind of staged the arena and like had like the nexu and the reek and kind of had these like he- basically hero monster posters mm-hmm. um and really did stage it up as like this monster movie and in a way i really do think that george kind of wanted to emulate that you know um old cinematic tradition well that would make sense yeah of course it does yeah 
yeah. everything that we know about George. Because, yeah, that, that arena is kind of where everything – it's like where all paths converge. Is it, everything happens that. in that. And so it is yeah. important. And, you, and again, you, like, you do get to see their strengths and how they fight against the different monsters. Um, but again, the real monster is lurking and mm-hmm. is close by and um, is hidden in plain sight. And then too, you have like this these monsters. Monsters isn't the right word, but you have this threat of the clones that enter into the scene. And at first glance, they're there to help, but we know coming down the line that they'll actually be the ones to turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right? Specific <laughs> word choice on my part. I cannot lie. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Zillow Beast, which I have to be honest is a series of episodes I haven't watched in a while, but I do remember. <laughs> I mean, the Zillow Beast is like clearly Dave Filoni and George Lucas's like love letter to Godzilla. I think it was in, even specifically by title. George Lucas's love letter. Like George Lucas was like, "I would like a Godzilla." That yeah, was it. And, but, but the Dave end was like, of okay. The Zillow Beast episodes are so like I remember being so sad at the end, and like mm-hmm. even during them, I think it's three episodes or so. I was not into the plot line at all. It felt very like outside of Star Wars. Felt very unfamiliar to me. But then by the end, I realized the understanding that I'm supposed to have empathy for this creature. And obviously, like Mm -hmm. us talking about this now, I was like 13 when I saw this. And um, it's so sad because the Zillow Beast feels so threatened and so outside of himself. And he only attacks when provoked and um, he's continuously attacking. And like, I remember the animation around him being so beautiful. And like, I think that was the purpose Mm -hmm. is you're supposed to see this beauty in this creature that is not supposed to be on Coruscant, is not supposed to exist here and feel so uncomfortable. And I, 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 they like take him down and it's like heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know that that's not where he belongs. Like so many of our Star Wars characters, he's just seeking belonging. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not his place. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, um, I, I think it's interesting when Star Wars does these like very clear – I know sometimes they get a lot of critique, but these like very clear parallel, parallels to like classic films – um, like with Godzilla, where you have like very similar shots to the Godzilla films, we have like the whole Ahsoka final arc that's like very Hitchcock, um, and how it is kind of tying back to these very specific themes from classic movies. Um, I know a lot of people sometimes don't really like that, but I think it's interesting and in, in what it has to say about the story that's trying to be told in those those episodes in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Within Star Wars. I've been kind of a critic of that in the past, but I do think that it's always an interesting lens um, and a way to look at Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, as they say, Star Wars is a big sandbox. So It's a huge sandbox. It's a, it's, you know what? It, it's a beach. <laughs> it is. No, it's a big Jakku desert. It's a big... <laughs> no, I don't want to go to Jakku. I'd rather be on the beach. <laughs> Same. Um, it's a big scarif, if you will. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. It's a big scarif, you know, before the Death Star. Yeah. Um, actually, after the, the Death Star, because I don't want to be on Scarif, like, anticipating that the Death Star is coming. Like, I'd like to, like, be part of the, like, revitalization of Scarif, <laughs> where I know the Death Star is not coming back. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so the one that I really wanted to talk about in this section was the Rancor. Rancor is great. I think that the Rancor, like, really is, like, the embodiment in the films of us supposed to sympathize with or like feel some sort of sadness for this like terrible monster's death even though he threatened our hero Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's all because of that one shot of the keeper at the end, like crying tears over his pet. I remember so vividly when I saw Return of the Jedi as a kid and my mom being like, oh, it's his pet. Like, I, it's, it's so funny what you remember. Yeah. And it, it, it is so sad. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, that is kind of sad. Like when I was like young. And I found this quote from George Lucas that says, I like the idea that everyone loves someone. Even the worst, most horrible monster you can imagine was loved by his keeper. And the Rancor probably loved his keeper. It's so sad. It is so sad. It's funny because, you know, it's it's kind of played for laughs. Um, you know, it's like yeah, this, it totally this big is. blubbering man crying over this like kind of grotesque creature. But then you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> and, it, and it is quite sweet and, and quite sad as well. Um, that there was this this love between them, at least from the Rancor Keeper's side. But like George said, the Rancor probably loved his keeper. Like he knew when he was coming. He knew, he knew who he was. Um, and well, he knew that he could trust him. Doesn't it kind of reflect what is to come in Return of the Jedi when Luke feels love for his father, despite his appearance, despite everything he's done? And it's it goes back to that quote. Like, I like the idea that everyone loves somebody. And we see that in the beginning of the movie where, you know, his father's redemption happens. Mm-hmm. Despite everyone and telling you that you shouldn't, that there's nothing yeah. to love, there is. Exactly. And it's just – it's so beautiful. I, I I mean, I think the Rancor is disgusting. I don't even really like that scene that much. But when you think about it this way, it really is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I totally Okay, some more monsters, like the Rathtars. I know we both don't love the Rathtars. I don't love the Rathtars sequence. It's nothing against the Rathtars themselves. Like, I'm sure they're so monstrous in their own right. I just – I like that they kind of roll around. I think that's fun. They're funny. They, they're kind they of funny. funny. Well, I think that their design is kind of, um, and, uh, like, similar to the – like the rock boulder that's supposed to follow Indiana Jones in Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And like it's supposed to be kind of that, you know, wild and crazy time. <laughs> A <board laughs> the Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. The cargo ship, whatever they're on. The cargo ship, yeah. Um, well, um, speaking of monsters, what we don't have on this list, Borgullet. Borgullet, I didn't include it because I felt like – I was doing the Borgullet a little bit of a disservice. What do you mean? But the Borgullet totally is a monster. I don't know why I didn't include the, it. The, the disservice. <laughs> the Borgullet. <laughs> like the Borgullet knows everything. No Borgullet. So, like, <laughs> so many tentacles, so little time. <laughs> the Borgullet, honestly, like, I, honestly, like, I literally can't. I, I try to forget about it. Just, <laughs> you just have saw, like, Borgullet. Borgullet. <laughs> Us and Riz Ahmed are like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think the Borgullet is another example of like, I think that uh, there's probably more to the Borgullet than like we see. Let's not get into right? the Borgullet. I know. Let's not. I, I mean, brought, him, brought him I up. did. I did. I did. <laughs> I brought him into this conversation. Borgullet. You know what? Borgullet is gone because Borgullet was on Jedi and Jedi, like Scarif, is gone. <laughs> Yep. I also like there's that creature in the maelstrom in Solo that is so Rathtar-esque. It is ginormous. It is tentacle. Another tentacle. The tentacle the ten- thing. The tentacle in Star Wars, and like, warm worm creatures are like our two go-to shapes <laughs> yep. for monsters. Yeah. I think I actually really did like the monster in 
solo. I felt like this certain sense of like doom and threat when I saw him or her. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, I say her because there's that great story in um, from a certain point of view about the Dianoga. Mm hmm. The Dianoga is a girl, mm. and it was so great to like, read that. I don't know if you guys have read that story, but it's a good story. You should read it. Um, and the Dianoga is another example of like a tentacly monster, if you will. <laughs> well, the, the creature in the Maelstrom is cool because it does remind me a lot of the Purgles and how they just like exist in space, which is kind of yes. trippy. And you're like, oh, wow, like how is that possible? Um, the fact that it just like lives inside this storm is mm-hmm. very um, like awe-inspiring and, and terrifying. Yeah, and like munches on the like the passerbys that don't make it through. Just gonna gobble them up, literally gobbling them up. Munches. I can't believe you said that for this like giant. Oh, was like this giant beast. It's just gonna like munch. He's got the munchies. He's just gonna go grab a snack. Yeah, basically. Mm, falcon. <laughs> Except not because he doesn't get the falcon. It's more like mm, yeah. Star Destroyer. Yeah. So true. I don't know. It's cool. Mm-hmm. I I liked that monster. Of all the monsters in the Disney era, I think I liked that the best. I think which I, is weird. Yeah, I think I did too. But visually, I mean, the whole Maelstrom chasing is just like it. Visually, is just amazing. Um, it like on paper shouldn't work, but it really does. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It looks incredible. Like the colors that are used, and mm-hmm. just like that shot where you see um, the like you see the black hole, you see the monster, and then you see the falcon. Like that really wide shot of the falcon like leaving the maelstrom. It's all like it's all perfect. It looks great. Totally, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Another one that I wanted to mention. Which is kind of interesting because I guess we've gotten used to, as we kind of talked about in Star Wars, like there always being this monster element. And in The Last Jedi, when Rey goes to Octo, she we see out of the corner of our eye when she glances down at the sunken X-Wing that Luke has like marooned himself on there. You see this like tentacled creature in the distance of the water and it's kind of like oh i wonder if she's gonna have to battle that i wonder if that's gonna come into play later Mm -hmm. but really it's like a red herring of understanding that that's not ray's place there and that she's not going to follow that same like night journey that because she can't it's a more individualistic journey she doesn't have to slay anything but herself she needs to understand herself Mm -hmm. um and I I have always kind of loved that Ryan put that there. And it, f- it probably feels to some people as like, oh, what the heck? Like, that's such a missed opportunity. Wouldn't that have been awesome? But, like, the point is, is that, yeah, that would have been cool. But, like, it needed to be more than that. Because what would that prove for her character if she, like, had to fight this, like, beast? Mm-hmm. She – the most menacing thing was her confronting her past mm-hmm. in that cave, in, like, the dark side cave. So – um, that was meaningless. Yeah, it kind of goes back to like our hands discussion as well. Like the point wasn't for like either Kylo or Rey to like lose a hand in this in this trilogy. It's like to stop the cycle of losing that. And again, too, it's like it's not about who she can fight the best. Um, it's not about her mm-hmm. like besting this like crazy creature. It's about her going on that journey of self discovery because like that's what we've seen in the last in the last two second movies, like Attack of the Clones, as we talked about in Empire Strikes Back. You've got um the uh wampa um you've got all the creatures like on Dagobah like you've got all of that going for them um but it's like that's not the point the point here is to be doing something different um and too like i think we all thought that they like again like the sea cow too could have been this 
like scary thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's really not. When in reality, like the, the, the sea cow, and we've said this on the show before, the sea cow is like, it's, it's a little bit of the grotesque. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why it's there is you're supposed to be kind of in a little bit embarrassed and in awe of how like a, a accustomed Luke has become to like living off the land in Octo. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a shocking image because it's shocking the way that he has like kind of dissociated from the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's cool. I don't know. It is I, I, I have always like really wanted to do this episode because I, I think that there is something more to like w- these scenes that feel almost like a little bit of action filler um, all throughout the saga. And the truth is, is that there is right. And even the first one that we see in the Phantom Menace, just going back to the beginning of our discussion, kind of sets the stage for like major themes in the saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Anything else you want to say? Um, yeah, I think the only thing left was just, you know, that there is the, kind of this parallel with Vader at the end of Revenge of the Sith to Frankenstein and like being right. on a table and, and being created. And mm-hmm. that again, it's like that quote from the beginning, like, did I ask for this? Um, mm-hmm. No, I wanted to save the woman I love. This isn't what I meant. This isn't how I saw yep. this going. But now he's trapped. Yeah, that scene is so Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, it's funny because I feel like a, we're, like, born knowing these, like, major monster themes, right? Like, yeah. we understand everything that, like, is visually going on in Frankenstein, even from, like, a young child, even, right? It's, it's weird, too, because it's, like, even if you haven't – seen like the originals like I've never read Frankenstein yet I've never seen the Bela Lugosi films but I know I know that I know what it looks like exactly. I know and like the whole like famous like it's a lie yeah like, everything yeah and it's Star Wars too yeah. you know like I I just have always known that Vader was Luke's father don't ask me how but I've just I've always known I mean it's just it's so part of culture mm-hmm. and so like when you yeah. see Vader when you see Vader on the table being constructed our reaction there isn't, oh, my God, he's, like, going to get to live. Like, you – because we have these themes in the back of our mind and we're, like, kind of born into understanding, like, the visual, like, coding of Frankenstein, we understand that, like, this character is almost, like, doomed mm-hmm. in this body in the same way that Frankenstein was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool. And, Very like, cool. then you can even look at Palpatine as he smiles, like, evilly in that end of that scene as Dr. Frankenstein who created this monster Mm -hmm. for his own means and for his own gain. Yeah. Everything's going according to plan. Until the end. (laughs) 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 Until the monster becomes human again. Yeah. Which like literally. I love a good parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just classic. It's classic. Yeah. All right. Part three. Let's talk about Kylo Ren. (laughs) Why is the Force connecting us? You and I. Murderous snake! You're too late. You lost. I found Skywalker. Did he tell you what happened? The night I destroyed his temple, did he tell you why? I know everything I need to know about you. You do? You have that look in your eyes from the forest. And you called me a monster. You are a monster. 
Yes, I am. All right, welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about Kylo Ren, a.k.a. Ben Solo. Um, so this discussion is especially pertinent when we're talking about Kylo Ren because um, we hear him referred to as a monster more than once in the film. So I think it's important to kind of unpack this word and like what it means for him specifically since he is referred to as a monster. So really when we hear hear him called a monster is by Rey in The Last Jedi at their second Force Bond scene. And she said – Well, we see it first in The Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So she calls him a monster in The Force Awakens. But really the more interesting one is in The Last Jedi mm-hmm. um, when he says <laughs> – That's the vibe. <laughs> me, I'm like, let's just skip to The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, when – she says, you're a monster. And then he says, you have that look in your eyes from the forest. You called me a monster. And Ray says, you are a monster. And he says, yes, I am. Um, but it's not like a, it's not like you're regular, yes, I am. It's like you're – his voice shakes as he says it, which is something – Oh, he and he trembles he at does, the end too. He does. And it's something that I picked up on the very first time I saw uh, The Last Jedi is the way that his voice wavers when he says, yes, I am. Um, I can't even do it. Like it's so subtle and masterful the way that Adam Driver does it. And you – it's almost like his voice is breaking. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not because he's like keeping it in. Uh, so, I mean, this is the question. Like is Kylo Ren a monster? I mean, it's so hard to define this because I think in some ways Kylo Ren is a monster because like in – even in the like cartoonish sense because he is a villain. Like, there's no getting around that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if in almost like the cinematic, uh, romantic sense, he is a monster because there's definitely more to him than meets the eye, as we've discussed, right? Yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? So let's, um, since we already read from, <laughs> not already, we were talking about the last Jedi novelization in our last episode about resistance, but let's, I have it pulled up. So let's just look at this piece from when he's called a monster. Um, so it says, Ray says, I know everything I need to know about you. She countered, taken aback. You do, he asked and peered at her eyes intent. You do. You have that look in your eyes from the forest when you called me a monster. He came within a meter or two of Ray, and she wondered what would happen if she refused to move and they intersected. Would she find herself in his mind again and have to endure his presence in hers? Could they actually touch across a galaxy? Spoiler, they could. <laughs> you are a monster, Ray said, remembering the terror of her paralysis on Tokodana. She stared back at him and found his eyes full of hurt, hurt and conflict. Yes, I am, Kylo said, and there was no menace in his voice, only misery. It's like, it go, to go back to that Paradise Lost quote... Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote thee? If there's no menace in his voice, only sorrow, it's like he feels like he is doomed to be this monster. Mm -hmm. It is what he has been molded for him. Feels trapped, just like Vader. Exactly. He feels extremely trapped. He feels – this is a a boy who was preyed on by Snoke from an early age, and he feels like he can't escape that. Mm -hmm. And the only way – I think in this in this moment and for his character is like to kind of accept that part of like the fact that someone is calling him a monster 
he almost wants to be this like killing machine, this like cartoon version of a monster, right? It would be easier. It would be so much easier because it would be he so much care. easier if he would. There wouldn't exactly. be misery in his voice. There would just be vengeance. And there isn't. There isn't vengeance. There isn't um there isn't menace. There's just misery because this isn't how it's supposed to be. How unsettling was that when you watched that in the theater? Like it was so I remember feeling like weird about that exchange that was like the first time that i was like raylo question mark i know me too because it was like he in in one like sentence he was like basically owning up to the fact that like okay maybe i am the i don't know it's it was so it was so strange to me well it's like and and too when you look at ray's face in that moment because she looks if you compare it to the moment her face when kylo takes off his mask in the force awakens it's the same face where it's like oh this isn't what i was expecting um you're not what yeah, i because, expected yeah and it's weird because like in that moment does ray understand that like maybe he's like a little bit like lying to himself you know I think I think she does. Yeah, because he's not like this mustache twirling villain where where she's like, "You're a monster," and he's like, "Yeah, you're right." And then you know, like ignites his lightsaber. He's like, "Yes, I am." It's it's this like Frankensteinish way. Yeah. Of, it's kind of what I've been doomed to be. I have like honestly like not that many ways out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and know? again, it would be so much easier to be the monster um, that everyone says he is, but he's. He doesn't feel it. Like, it should feel different. Even, like, just to kind of lean into the monster symbolism for Kylo, this kind of goes back to the whole bridal carry thing, which I know for a lot of Raylos was, like, the first time that they were like, oh, my God, like, there's something here. Because if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, in The Force Awakens, when Kylo and Rey meet, like, for the first time face-to-face, um... Kylo like picks her up and like carries her over the threshold. It's called bridal carry. Um, obviously, it's very like symbolic for like when the husband carries the wife over the threshold in their new home after marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that on romantic comedies too. But it's like a a huge trope in cinema, like the bride of the monster, the Bella Lugosi. It's all like Bella Lugosi is like the the key example for the bridal carry. Mm-hmm. So you go from that to like the Ray calling him a monster to him accepting and like quivering in that like understanding that maybe he is a monster, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like all these things kind of are coupled together to kind of reinforce this like thought that there's definitely more to him than just this like, like you said, like mustache twirling villain, mustache twirling monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think the the bridal carry was it. It's so like fairy tale the way that it happens. Yeah. Um, and again, it was like like thinking back to how I felt about that before I shipped Raylo because I've always been a redemption stand from the get go. Um, but it is interesting how he like takes her, uh, and it is. I think we've talked about this before too, like Hades and Persephone, like taking her to his world. And, mm-hmm. like, what that's going to mean for the relationship, like, how they're going to change one another. But while you were talking, it kind of made me think about 
to this like relationship between Luke and Kylo, which is probably my favorite relationship to come out of the sequel trilogy at this point. Um, and that quote to, you know, did I request thee maker from my clay to mold me, man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? And it always makes me think of that moment on Crate, you know, when, when Kylo asks, is like, are you here to save my soul? And it's like, no, because like, for him, like Luke was the scientist. Luke was Dr. Frankenstein who did this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yet realize – I think he probably does but won't allow himself to admit it, like how much he was tricked by Snoke and how much of it was his own doing as well um, because for him, right. it's Luke's fault. Like Luke is the one who trapped him here. Luke is the one who put him on the table and forced his hand. Um, and then mm-hmm. everything went downhill from there and now he is this monster who has no way out. And I found this um, a while ago. I heard this spoken word poem called Keep Forgiving. And there was this line in there that just like broke me when I thought about Kylo and Luke. And uh, it's a really great spoken word poem by uh, Levi the Poet. And it says, um, I wanted to be the broken link in the chain. But when I set the torch to timber, it was I who found myself burning from the inside out. I used the past like funeral pyre, thinking I could burn it away and tie you to the stake while I'm at it. And I think that's just like so perfect for Kylo because it's like he wanted like the idea of destroying the past, of destroying Han, of destroying Luke, like that was what was going to fix it for him to like get rid of these feelings, to make him the true monster. But really it was him who was burning from the inside out from the pain that he felt from his childhood, real or imagined, but genuine feeling and sorrow nonetheless. Um, Yeah. And you can't help but feel sympathy for that, I think. Totally. I think there's also something really interesting about how – I know it's really only been a couple days since between The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, but – Kylo has been thinking about the look that Ray had given them mm-hmm. in the forest. Like you have the look on your face from the forest where you called me a monster. And it's like, he's still thinking about the fact that she called him a monster and like that must hurt in some way. And like, it's funny to even just like consider like, why does that hurt? Why does that, maybe I shouldn't even say hurt. Like, why does that stick with him? Mm-hmm. Does it hurt? Does he kind of relish that? Does he want that? I feel like he wishes he wanted that, but I don't think he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, we see that in The Last Jedi. Like, he sees her as the way out. Like, for the first time, he's made this connection with someone that is about more than his family because that's – like, like the, the crazy thing is, like, we don't know of any other relationships Kylo has had outside of his family and Snoke. Mm-hmm. Um, like anyone who knows him, who doesn't like fear his power or want to use his power. Um, that's kind of like the defining characteristics of Kylo's upbringing is his family who, yes, loved him very much, but were also very scared of his potential. And then mm-hmm. someone who sought to utilize that potential against his family. Right. Um, but then there comes Ray, who's the first person who like sees him as something else. Um, who sees his potential for goodness. And he's like, well, maybe I'm not that, but maybe like with her with me, things can be different. I really just like to to conceptualize Kylo in this way. Um, if you can go back to like even what we were talking about in the beginning, when is a monster not a monster? Oh, when you love it. Is the point where Ray is like, you know, you can get out of this. You can not be who you were in the past. Like, at that point, that's when she doesn't view him as a monster anymore, right? In that elevator, basically, or like when they touch hands, mm-hmm. right? 
um, it's like everything changes and it's like a familiar path for what we know from past horror movies and sci-fi movies, like even Frankenstein or like you even can think about like the shape of water. Um, the character of Eliza has this like understanding of who the the sea monster is. And I think that same kind of understanding and like acceptance mm-hmm. um, of like they're more than just like this like label um, is like a really beautiful thing. And it's like very fantasy. It is. I mean, I, I, I honestly, it's it's very Beauty and the Beast too. Yes. Um, like if yes. You, I, I can't believe we haven't right? <laughs> covered Beauty and the Beast like you, just yet. Even if you like just like – make the parallel of like the castle as the force bond like this this situation that neither one of them can get out of basically uh, right. environment that they're both kind of forced into um it's when she starts to see like <laughs> building the library is akin to listening to her tell like listening to ray tell her story about being in the dark side cave and it's like in this quiet moment that you know she sees so, with the song like what's the song there's something there right that's the song that wasn't there before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow i need that as a fan video now um it's out there and sure. I, I think i've watched it <laughs> but <laughs> there is that moment and then i mean in episode nine you can kind of see it going even further when you know the resistance is like kill kylo ren and she's like no um you know like show me the beast like he's not really there um and she like cares for him um, because she's made this connection with him and there's some there's something more than there's something there that wasn't there before. <laughs> well, there's just something more than the like the villainy on the outside. Mm-hmm. And there always is. You see that with Darth Vader. Yeah, there always has been. You see that even with like Count Dooku. Like yeah. there's there is something more. Like that he wanted more intelligence. And you can kind of understand that. Like when you it, – it's just like whenever you go, dive into any of these villains, there has to be something more except for like – Palpatine. Palpatine and Snoke. Honestly, like I don't really think there's much more than like sinister deeds. Mm-hmm. But that's like – goes back to like there's always a bigger fish. There's always like a a bigger villain. There's always something else to overcome. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too that these monsters that we see, it's not just – some other character seeing something else in them it's them making a choice to be different as well like we see this with callus so perfectly like oh, for sure callus i mean if you had told me in season one that callus was going to be you know redeemed as it were and like bffs with zeb i would have been like oh okay <laughs> i know right <laughs> if you say like, so <laughs> Um, on the it's like what the heck? Yeah, how did that even happen? Yeah, they really pulled that off. They really, they really did. But like, Callus had to make the choice too. Um, and it wasn't just like it wasn't just Zeb being like, yeah, okay, I guess you're okay. And and Zeb wasn't even really like that immediately. Like it took Zeb a lot longer to warm up to Callus than it took Ray to warm up to Kylo. <laughs> yeah, you're actually right about that. Right? Like it took Zeb a while. Like like even once once Callus, I don't remember exactly, but even once Callus was working as Fulcrum, Zeb was like, Yeah, I don't think I still don't know if we should trust him. Um and Zeb had to like yeah. con- or Callus had to continually prove himself and like earn Zeb's trust, as well as everyone else. But like the important relationship is between Zeb and Callus. Um whereas mm-hmm. with like Ray, and that's part of her strength is that she is so compassionate and willing to see beyond the mask. Um mm-hmm. And, but it wasn't like that initially because we see that in um, the beginning of The Last Jedi. It wasn't like an immediate thing for her. It was it was after that moment of calling him a monster. Actually, like that was the that was the moment when everything started to change and he agreed with her and she was like, wait a second. 
something's not right here. Oh, God, I love this movie so much. Right? Service <laughs> is so good. I just like I, – I just have to say, like, I, I love being able to dive into themes like this even – now with the sequel trilogy i i think that it's like it it has brought us to a place that like it means so much more than like i ever thought it would mm-hmm. um anything like it, from mythology just like symbolism to like it, being able to talk about like the monster genre in regards to our protagonists like i think that's really fun and i just i it's it's great to be able to look at this character from all these different viewpoints mm-hmm. yeah and to kind of bring it back to frankenstein that um, quote you read at the beginning from Del Toro that said, um, this is Del Toro about Shelley's novel, Frankenstein. Um, it's the quintessential teenage book. You don't belong. You're brought to this world by people that don't care for you, and you're thrown into a world of pain and suffering and tears and hunger. And then we have this quote from Adam Driver about Kylo Ren. And he says, Kylo is someone who's broken. There's nothing more powerful than genetics. If you really imagine the stakes of him and his youth having all these special powers and having your parents be absent during that process with their own agendas equally as selfish, and this is the important part, he's lost in the world that he was raised in and feels that he was abandoned by the people that he's closest with. He's angry because of that, and he has a huge grudge on his shoulders. Um, I think that goes – like they, t- they tie together so well and kind of different. I know we made the parallel of like Anakin to Frankenstein, like especially on that table and like kind of made out of machine. But like Kylo was made out of like history and like yeah. he, had, he had all of these accolades and expectations hurled on him and they – both of these can't – it's what we always say like, will the real Ben Solo please stand up? Because like you had his family who was terrified of this thing that he could become and it kind of in a way became like this self-fulfilling prophecy because they like Snoke totally preyed upon that and used it to his advantage. And then there was Kylo who was kind of stuck in the middle, unsure of what to do and who to trust and like who really cared about him. And it's not because his family didn't actually care about him because they did. It's that they didn't know how to care about Ben in the way that he needed to be cared about. Yep. And so this this shell, as both Snoke and Luke say, this shell called Kylo Ren was created around him. Um, whereas you had like the shell of Vader around Anakin, which was a physical shell. Kylo's is an emotional one. Yep. And for me, that is so much more powerful and like modern. Yeah, it's more interesting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. And but and again, it's the parallel to Anakin. So you needed the physical shell of Anakin as Vader to be able to understand the emotional shell around Kylo mm-hmm. or around Ben, I should say. Right. And the only person that's seen past that facade at this point is Rey mm-hmm. because Leia has sensed it, but Leia hasn't seen it. Yeah, I don't think that Leia has seen Kylo in like maybe like 20 years. So sad. Like, if you think about it that way, maybe 15, yeah. right? Um, which I think makes the moment of Han, like, seeing Kylo right on the on the bridge mm-hmm. when he's like, I want to see the face of my son. It's like you realize that they, have, they really haven't seen each other in, like, years, like, maybe, like, over a decade. So sad. It really is. And then, like, you, he takes off his mask and, like, his son is a man. And it's... You know, I in Kylo says like your son is gone, and you know Han says no, my son is alive. Ugh, I love it so much. Yeah, and Han is right. Um, his yeah. son is alive, yeah. but there again, it's like Han's murder has to be the catalyst for. Actually, you know, I said that Ray was the first person to see behind that shell, but I don't think that's true. I think Han is in that moment because I believe what 
Kylo was saying in that moment, like, you think that he could go a different way. I don't think Kylo had decided what he was going to do when he walked onto that bridge. Like, I think he's being convinced by Han um, to turn away. You know, when he says, like, I want to be free of this pain. Like, can you help me? I think he feels like for a second that he could go with Han. Um, And, like, just to hear his dad say, like, we miss you. I'm Mm -hmm. sure, like, on one hand, the, like, child in him was like, yes, like, they miss me. But then the lies of Snoke and himself are saying, you know, that's not true. They didn't actually miss you. Well, I think that, like, you see that in the um, beginning of The Last Jedi when he, you know, comes back to Snoke. He's like, I killed Han Solo. And he he thinks that, like, this deed, this thing that he, you know, in that moment, like you said, that he was kind of conflicted, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But he thinks that, like, if I do this, his brain has convinced him that if I do this, like, I will be the son of darkness, the heir apparent to Darth Vader. Like, Snoke will be proud of me. Mm-hmm. I will do the thing that, like, my master says that I have to do. Yeah. And then when he gets back into that room and Snoke, like, basically makes fun of him and, like, gets a rise out of him mm-hmm. for it. Like, oh, yeah, you did that. But, like, it, it you know, it split your spirit to the – it split your spirit to the bone. Like, you are unbalanced. It was nothing. I can't believe you did that. Like, that was pointless. Like, it did nothing for you. Yeah, it was a waste. Yeah, and he he gets mad because he's like, wait, how? I can't be a waste. Like, I just killed my father. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's like, that was my father. That's why it's a waste because it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's it, if he didn't recognize that, then that would be a little concerning yeah. for our character. Yeah, exactly. Man, Kylo. I just think that Kylo is, like, the best character. Like, Redemption Arc, I, I think it's, like, already in effect. But um, I was going to say Redemption Arc or not. I think it's happening. But um, that's no secret on the show. But I do think that Kylo and his history and his legacy make him maybe the most interesting character in all of Star Wars. And, in fact, like, Kylo has, like, been bumped from, like, the basically the bottom of my top five favorite characters to, like, up right up there with Padme. Oh yeah, and it's just because like the more we think about him and the more that we learn about the past and you know the Han and Leia and um, his upbringing and his time with Luke and what happens with Snoke and his dark side like nature if he has that and like maybe his call to the light like it's all these things are just make him the most interesting force user yeah in all of Star Wars. They really are. And I think it's more interesting too when you're thinking about like this bigger picture that like monsters beget monsters because um, mm-hmm. you have this monster of Vader who had children who then had a monster of their own. But that's mm-hmm. not really how we look at it. It's it's tragedy begets tragedy. Um, but now we're going to see the end of that tragic cycle. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um yeah. Um, and, and on Redemption, I want to shout out this like great article we had by a listener who came, um, who wrote um, – let me pull up her name real fast. Marissa. I need to start with an M. Marissa Baker wrote this article about um, hands, uh, kind of inspired by our hands discussion the other day and about redemption in Star Wars. And I think it's like this great kind of focus on the like the sequel trilogy, but also like the saga as a whole, um, because she brings up this point that, you know, and it, she talks about, I'll just read from it. She says, Anakin's turn at the end of his life wasn't enough to end the cycle of loss, darkness, and fall, fa- falls that require redemption which I think is really interesting. Anakin's turn at the end of his life wasn't enough to end the cycle of loss. So like that whole cycle that we went through with Anakin, that wasn't – that's not the full story. Like we're just now getting the full picture. 
And she writes, the cycle continued, and I think part of the reason was because Anakin didn't survive. He wasn't there to teach his grandson how to navigate the dark side's temptations or how to come back if you fall. And because Luke and Leia covered up the truth about their father, Ben didn't even have the guidance of Anakin's legacy. In order for redemption, love, and compassion to win in the end of this new trilogy, I think Ben Solo has to be redeemed. More than that, he has to live and deal with the consequences of his past actions. He needs the chance to follow the advice that Yoda gives Luke in The Last Jedi. Pass on what you've learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure. Most of all, the greatest teacher of failure is. And I love that because I've never thought about that quote in conjunction with Kylo, but I think it's the perfect link um, to like wrap up this whole saga, honestly. And the fact that it's like a Yoda quote, I think it's just like hits the nail on the head because the <laughs> this monster – this monster, more machine than man monster of Anakin, like he turned back. He was able to come back. Um, he was able to become a human again. He was able to shed that physical shell of monstrosity around him. Um, but he wasn't able to pass it on. And I think Ky- like to stop the cycle, that's what has to happen. You have to teach the next generation how to um, deal with those darker pieces of yourself, with those monstrous parts of your soul. And I think Kylo is has to do that. And mm-hmm. so he has to live. Yes. Agreed. Anyway. I think that's a really good place, to, stopping place um, for the episode. But that was a really fun discussion. It was. It was really good. I'm glad you picked this. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't know, I didn't mention this. I wrote this show like, a month like and a half ago. in September. <laughs> and I think I wrote it in like 30 minutes because I was so excited to yeah. do it. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm happy to have recorded it because it was like something that I had in my brain for a while. Okay. Well, um, I think that is going to wrap up our show. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, tell us what you're going to be for Halloween and what your favorite Halloween costume has been. Is it Kylo? Mine's Kylo. Um, so if you would like to find us on Twitter, you know where to find us at SkyTalkersPod or SkyTalkers.com. You can also find us on our personal Twitter handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. And when you're done listening to this episode, we would really, really appreciate it if you would head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, it helps more people find our show so we can make new friends in the SkyTalkers world. Yes. And I just want to thank our amazing patrons, Chuck, Brandon, Kirsty, Robbie, Connie, Derek, Adam, Edith, Tom, Lauren, Rebecca, Aaron, Chell, Molly, Jordan, Matt, Serene, Shireen, Daz, Natalia, Ali, Angela, Delaney, Andy, Rebecca, Alyssa, Daniela, Katie, Travis, Aliyah, Chastity, Kels, Jennifer, Kyle, Stewart, Megan, The Dorky Diva Show, From a Certain Point of View, Hamsa, James, Patrick, Lumpa Raru, Danny, Anthony, Jenny, Lady Valkyrie, Brooklyn, BJ, Swara, Jim, Kelly, Amy, Megan, Brian, Courtney, Rachel, Katie, Lynn, Becca, Diana, Angela, Cherie, Z, Susanna, Sher- Sarah, Tracy, Joanna, and Amy. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. We are so appreciative of your support. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, happy Halloween and may the force be with you. May the force be with you.
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.